Hello and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. It's the repeated refrain of the gospel. God, in his grace, shows mercy to restore us to him, not just as his people, but as his family. Dr. Brian Chappell, stated clerk of the Presbyterian Church in America, brings us this sermon entitled The Power of Mercy, which covers Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, chapter 3, verses 22 to 24, and chapter 10, verses 2 and 3. For more information and to watch or hear other sermons, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. I'm excited to uh, have Dr. Brian Chappell with us to preach today, and he'll be coming in a few moments. Uh, I want to tell you a little bit about him before he comes and before the reading of our word. He currently serves as the stated clerk of our denomination. The denomination that we are a part of is called the Presbyterian Church in America. And if you're not familiar with that phrase or that title, stated clerk, you can think of you know, president uh, overseeing the, the whole denomination. And so a certain, certainly a high calling and a significant role that Dr. Chapel is playing in our denomination. Previously, he served as the senior pastors, uh, pastor at Grace Presbyterian Church in Peoria, Illinois, where he continues to serve as the pastor emeritus. Prior to that, uh, he served as the president of Covenant, Covenant Theological Seminary in St. Louis, where he is still serving uh, as the uh, president emeritus, emeritus as well. He's, he's authored many books. The one you might have, all of them are fantastic. You may have heard of uh, perhaps his most known work, which is Christ-Centered Preaching. And uh, you may have heard me mention before that that Dr. Chapel and his wife, Kathy, are now worshiping with us whenever Kathy's here most Sundays, but uh, Brian travels and speaks throughout the United States and, and even the world. And so when he is with in town, he worships with us. The, the PCA offices headquarters are in Lawrenceville. And so what a blessing to us to have them worshiping with us. But um, it's just a little intimidating to preach to the guy who literally wrote the book on Christ-centered preaching and that I was trained on in seminary. So um, he, he has been incredibly gracious to me. And as you will see here in a moment, he is a phenomenal preacher of God's word. Uh, Brian has, been a, a, has become a dear friend, a mentor, a great influence in my life. And uh, I am so very grateful for him. I want to tell you one more thing about him uh, that you might be interested in. Founder, he's the founder and host of Unlimited Grace, which is a daily half-hour Bible teaching program that's been heard on radio stations throughout the U.S. and throughout 80 countries in the world. And uh, you can now access that anytime you want online uh, through his website. And you can find out so much more about him and the many, many resources that he has developed over the years to bless the church. You go to brianchapel.com. That's Brian with a Y, chapel, one P, two L's. Okay, got it? Brian with a Y, chapel, one P, two L's. And you will be immensely blessed by what you find there. So he'll come in just a few minutes. Before he does, I'm going to invite Leo Wells, who's been serving this morning on our worship team, to come and read our passage that Dr. Chapel will be preaching out of today. Hear the word of the Lord uh, from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. 
do not be, uh, excuse me, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Thank you, Leo. And then let's pray together, corporately together, our prayer, and I want to pronounce this very clearly, our prayer of illumination. I had a guy after the nine o'clock say, man, it took me weeks to figure out that you weren't saying prayer of elimination. Um, (laughs) We are not eliminating anything from God's word. We are asking him to illuminate it unto our hearts. So let's pray this prayer aloud together. Almighty God and most merciful Father, We humbly submit ourselves and fall down before your majesty, asking you from the bottom of our hearts that this seed of your word now sown among us may take such deep root that neither the burning heart of persecution cause it to wither, nor the thorny cares of this life choke it, but that as seed sown in good ground it may bring forth 30, 60, or a hundredfold as your heavenly wisdom has appointed. Amen and amen. Would you welcome Dr. Brian Chapel? Thank you, Pastor Jeff, for, for kind words. And I love hearing Jeff preach the gospels in the sermon every time. And it warms my heart to recognize how dear God's word and grace are to his heart. Also, I could not help but think how good it was that you as a church were praying for believers in the Ukraine and refugees from the war there. You're part of a a complex and coordinated effort of our denomination to accomplish many aspects of care. Just one small aspect to make you aware of. A few weeks ago, PCA trained Ukrainian pastors were actually smuggling people out of Russian-occupied territory. Today, and for the past several days, PCA-trained Ukrainian pastors are actually smuggling food into Russian-occupied territory. There are millions of dollars that have come across the PCA into Ukrainian relief efforts, and that's just one part of the world that you serve for the purposes of Christ. And as we think about what the Lord is doing, we don't give up on the gospel. We recognize its importance and what we do when we work together for the purposes of our Lord. I mean, think of it this way. While we participate in the Ukrainian efforts, we do recognize that as a nation, we have made a decision saying to our president with one voice, no troops. Why? Because too fresh in our minds and memories are the images of Afghanistan, Iraq, Iran, the Arab Spring that did not occur despite the expense of American lives as well as billions of dollars. And so we have said to our president, no more forever wars. Our experience in the Middle East makes us think that, and we have other thoughts. We look at the Middle East, the Muslim world, and often think to ourselves, can anything good come out of the Middle East? Can anything good come out of the Muslim world? 
In answer to that question, I'll take you to the words of Christian news commentator Jem Dennison. He writes this. In recent years, so many Muslims have been coming to Christ that ministries have been placing ads in newspapers across the Middle East asking this question. Have you seen the man in white robes in your dreams? The question is reflecting the experience of literally tens of thousands of people who do not know one another and are far distant from one another, but are all having the same dream. A man in white robes beckons those who have been taught to hate Jesus to come to Jesus and be received by him. Now let me tell you something. I, I am a reformed Presbyterian. And I don't quite know what to make of that. It doesn't fit my categories. But this I am sure of. It represents an amazing mercy. Out of darkness and pain and shame, Jesus comes and mercy flows. It is the way the gospel works, not according to our measurement or making, but according to a God who recognizes in people's desperation is a cause for hope that takes them to Jesus Christ. And that reality and that longing is so powerful that it's happening in ways we can hardly measure or discern in this day. Yes, there have been things that call us pain and shame as a nation in the Muslim world in the last 15 years. But listen, there have been more Muslims come to Christ in the last 15 years than in the last 15 centuries. What God is doing in our time in this world is absolutely amazing. It's, it's the way it works out of darkness and pain and shame. Jesus comes, the gospel flows. Think. Some of you are old enough to remember, 1948, they threw the missionaries out of China. And in the world's estimation, our estimation, the gospel was done. It had just begun. As a result of the flowering of the gospel in China, more people will worship Jesus in China today than in the United States smaller proportion of the population, but such a vast population, I'll say it again, more people will worship Jesus in China today than in the United States. The fastest growing church in the world is in Iran. Persecuted, underground, thriving, flourishing, out of darkness and pain and shame, Jesus comes. And mercy flows. It, it was that way from the beginning. Think of it. When the disciples saw Jesus crucified. When they witnessed Jewish authorities try to crush the church. Surely the estimation, not just of the world, but of Christ's own disciples was, the gospel's done. Within two centuries, it would be the faith of the Roman world. By our day, it is the most populous religion in the world. How does that happen? 
The apostle is actually trying to help us understand in this book of Romans. He goes all the way back to the dawn of human history in the early chapters of Romans. And he says, what happened? Darkness came and shame and pain because of the corruptions of our first parents that spread upon us all. So much so that the apostle will say, therefore there is none righteous. No, not one. He even speaks of himself saying, even about me, an apostle, what I desire to do, that I do not do. Oh, wretched man, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And his answer, thanks be to God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, things present or things to come, height or depth, or anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Out of darkness and pain and shame, Jesus comes and mercy flows. And when we begin to claim it, we recognize that that mercy is the means of God to help us accomplish his purposes in this world. After all, here in Romans 12, we're right in a pivot point in the book of Romans where the apostle has spent 11 chapters saying, here's what God has done in Christ. Now he's going to begin to spell out how we respond, our civil and corporate, individual and moral responsibilities. But before he says any of those things, those responsibilities, he says, Remember to make mercy your motivation. It was right there in verse 1 of Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, you may not hear the motivation until you compare these words to what the apostle could have said. Think if he'd said this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the guilt you'll feel if you fail. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the rejection that you will face if you fall. But he says, none of that. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to accomplish God's will. Now, you may not be able to hear mercy as a motivation, if you have read this verse the way I heard it much of my growing up years. In my growing up years, like some of you in the room of my vintage, I was part of the BMA. Anybody remember the BMA? The Bible Memory Association. You got a new book every month, well illustrated, lots of verses for you to memorize. And if you memorized and recited to the pastor's wife or your grandma or somebody in the church, you got a prize. I mean, I can remember with pride getting my glow-in-the-dark cross of Jesus. <laughs> and it was for memorizing verses like this. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, except it was always in the King James. So you had to say, I appeal, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. That, 
That's what the words say, and I can repeat them again because I memorized them, just roll them off, but regardless of the words I say, I will tell you what I just repeated is not what my heart heard. This is what my heart heard. I beseech ye, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, and then you'll be holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Is that what it says? But isn't it what you heard? You be a good living sacrifice, and then you'll be holy and acceptable to God. Listen, you must hear me. Holy and acceptable are not a description of what you will become. They are a declaration of what you are. You are holy and acceptable to God. And we want to debate the apostle. Wait a second. I know my weakness, my sin, my lust, my anger, my greed, my, my arguments with my spouse. How could you declare me holy and acceptable? Well, don't forget the opening words. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Not by what you do, not by what you accomplish, but by the mercy of God. It was the message that Paul had from the very beginning of Romans. Way early, you may remember, in the third chapter, he explained to us how we could have, participate in, the mercy of God. Do you remember Romans 3, verses 22 and following? The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ. For all who believe, for there's no distinction, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We, we are living sacrifices, holy and acceptable, not on the basis of our merit, but on the basis of the mercy of God, we have faith in the righteousness of Christ provided for us. He took the wrath of God upon himself to suffer and die for your sin and my sin. And as we have faith that that was what he did, we are counted righteous. Not by our merit, but according to his mercy. Now for a lot of us in the room, that's, that's an old story. But we, we struggle to remember it and to actually make mercy the motivation of the Christian life and not guilt and not shame and not comparison. I mean, I, I think of my own experience. So here a, a few weeks ago, it's hard to remember when it's getting to be so, so warm, we had an ice storm that came across the south. And at my oldest son's home in Memphis, they were without power for days. And, and as the, the house temperature plummeted into the low 40s, we got a call from my oldest son and his family. Could, could we come and stay with you? You at least got heat. Sure, come. And so my son and his wife and their two children and the dog <laughs> came to stay with us for a few days. And it's a lot of fun, but, you know, after a while, you become somewhat aware of the antics of your children's children. And... Um, recognizing all the failures you made uh, as you were training your children. And of course, moms and dads sometimes react a little bit differently. So, you know, I'm the dad, so I look at my oldest son who's struggling with his kids, and I say, serves you right, bud. <laughs> <laughs> 
But my tender wife, uh, Kathy, who I think is, I so admire her, because when my, when my patience and my desire to be tender <laughs> are running out, her tank is still full. But it's actually that tenderness that can hurt her heart at times. Because the antics of a grandchild will make her think to some failure with one of her own children. A crossword said at some time, decades in the past, something that wasn't corrected, something that was just a mistake made. And she will just spiral down into pain, into shame over something past. And what she said helps her is remembering when she's tempted by Satan to go into that file drawer of bad memories, to never open the file unless it's with the key called mercy. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. I failed, haven't accomplished all I needed, can look at my own children and see my own errors, but I'm holy and acceptable to God. Not by virtue of I, what I have done, but by virtue of my faith and what Christ has accomplished, his righteousness applied to me. That's not just a message for moms and not just for little kids. All of us need to be reminded again and again. Pastor Jeff and I will know a famous pastor of the last century, Alexander White, Scottish minister. And he writes an account of a crisis in his town where the ministers gathered in his home to think of what they would do. And after they had made their plans, it was getting late, so people went home, except for one man who lingered until it just became embarrassing. You know, why, why won't you go home? Finally, when it became too embarrassing to uh, be able to ignore, the older man spoke up with a sense of jest. And now, Dr. White, what word of comfort do you have for an old sinner like me? Alexander White wrote later, it took my breath away. He was an old saint, but he had lost the comfort of the gospel. Alexander White said he didn't know quite what to do, so he just got up from his chair and he crossed the room. He took the hand of the older man and he quoted the words of Micah chapter seven. He delights in mercy. What word of comfort for an old sinner. He delights in mercy. Not much more was said. The older man went home. But the next day, a note came to Dr. White's house. These words. Dear Dr. White, those words that you spoke to me were strength to my soul. I had lost hope, but you reminded me of the heart of my Lord. I will never doubt him again. And the next time Satan throws my sin in my face, I will say to him, yes, it is all true, and you know not the half of it. But I have to deal with the one who delights in mercy. And so do I, and so do you. We have to deal with the one who delights in mercy, and ultimately that is not just motivation. It is the power of the gospel in our lives. We're being urged here not just make mercy your motivation, make mercy your power. Verse two, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing 
You may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Yeah, here are things to do. We test and approve what the will of God is. But, but how does that happen? You, you can't be in the church very long without hearing this verse, be not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewal of your mind. Sometimes use this way. If you're really gonna be transformed, you need to think good thoughts. Read good books. Think great things. Listen to good sermons. Now listen, there, there are verses in the Bible about thinking pure things. This is not one of them. What is this verse about? You have to remember that the Apostle Paul is bringing up the subject of mercy right here, having already discussed it for two chapters. He's discussing it because of a grief that he had earlier expressed for his Jewish brothers and sisters. He explained what, what he was grieving about in Romans chapter 10, verses two and through. He said this about, about his Jewish brothers and sisters. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. That's a good thing. But not according to knowledge. Wait, wait, there's something wrong with their minds, with the way they're thinking. What is the thing that he identifies? For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. What's the problem? They are trying to make themselves acceptable to God by their own righteousness. And if ever you begin to do that, you're going to be caught because there is none righteous, no, not one. Because God is holy and we can't measure up to that standard. And as a consequence, if I'm just trying to establish my righteousness, I am inevitably going to get caught in the comparison game. Well, Lord, uh, I hope you'll accept me. I, I know I'm not perfect. I'm just better than those people over there. But what the apostle is saying is we are not made holy and acceptable to God by our merit, but by God's mercy. Faith that Christ took the penalty for my sin as I now trust in him, believe in his accomplished work in my behalf, that his righteousness applies to me, not my righteousness, his. And that means the apostle says when you have that mind, now you're gonna test every word, every act, against the mercy of God to find out what God's good and acceptable and perfect will is. And that's, that's tough. In fact, we'll, we'll wilt before it when we begin to see what the standards are. After all, if mercy becomes the lens by which you are examining every word and deed, then how are we gonna deal with what God actually requires? He begins to spell it out, the apostle, later in the same chapter. Verse 10 of chapter 12. Paul says to all of us, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. But Lord, what if I know they don't deserve honor? What if they messed up? What if they hurt me? I'm not asking you to examine them by your merit, but by God's mercy. Repay, verse 17, no one evil for evil. But Lord, 
They started it. But he delights in mercy. Verse 19, never avenge yourselves. But Lord, what he did to me, what he did to our family. But he delights in mercy. Let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. But God, they're such a bother. And their weakness hurt me. But he delights in mercy. We sometimes don't think enough of what God actually requires of us. We know the words of Micah 6 8. What does God require of you? But to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And if you were part of the BMA, you can just make that roll off. It rolls off of us. What does God require of you? Complete righteousness. To do justice in every word, occasion, deed of this life. Listen, if you understand what God requires of you to be totally righteous in all your dealings, you better love some mercy, brother. And if you love the mercy that's not of you, but of God for you, then you will walk humbly with your God. Not what I parade before him, but what I claim through Christ who gave himself for me. It's the beauty of the gospel that is unfolding as we begin to understand this is the power of the Christian life that God is saying as you begin to understand the mercy of my heart toward you, it changes your heart. It changes what you're willing to do. Some of your translations actually be in that first verse saying this is your reasonable service. Seems totally unreasonable to me unless mercy has transformed my heart. How does it become power? I think of it through an illustration of Paul Koyster, a mission leader that some of you may know. Paul talks about earlier in his career that he was in a, a very disadvantaged part of the United States working in a school system. And part of the disadvantage of those students was so few were able to read well. They set up a remedial reading program but the difficulty of the remedial reading program was if ever anybody got in the remedial reading program, the label of being a problem reader was so heavy that they never got out of the remedial reading program. It was like an academic whirlpool that just sucked you in if you got put in the remedial reading program. Except for one young woman. Her name was Edie. She ran track, so they called her Speedy Edie. Edie got out. And of course, now all the school administrators begin to speak to her teacher. What'd you do different with Edie? D did you give her different books? Well, no, not different books. Different curriculum? Well, no. With different methods? No. Well, you must have done something different. Said the teacher, well, you know, Edie runs track. Yeah, we know all about speedy Edie. Said the teacher, well, sometimes I went to her track meets. And I cheered for her. That was the difference. Do you recognize 
the power it is to know that somebody is for you? Do you recognize the power to recognize the sovereign God of all creation sent his son for you, gave that life for you, calls mercy down from heaven upon you so that you are holy and acceptable to him? And the consequence is the joy of the Lord becomes our what? Our strength. It's the way the gospel is meant to work in our hearts and lives. I mean, just think of it. It doesn't take a long stretch of your imagination. Just imagine that the Braves are in the World Series this year. Maybe a little stretch. Imagine it's the, the seventh game, bottom of the ninth, tie score, and a Braves player hits a home run. Can you just hear the hoorays, the cheers, how loud, how big. Can you imagine that they are faint compared to 10,000 times 10,000 angels declaring over you, holy and acceptable to God. But Lord, I, I messed up, I failed, I failed with my kids, I failed in my marriage, I, I, I'm not what I should, but you are holy and acceptable to God. And that would fill me with such joy, fill you with such joy, that it would be the strength of your heart and life to live for him. By mercy, he motivates us. By mercy, he empowers us. By mercy, he transforms us. By mercy, by mercy, by mercy. It is the echo of grace that makes our service sweet and our hearts strong. What does God require of you, Christian? Love, mercy. It will be the power of your heart to live for the Savior you love. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, so work your will among us that we who love you because you first loved us would claim the wonders of mercy with such an embrace that knowing you have lifted us up cleaned us up and sent us out, would be willing, enabled, transformed by the mercy of God. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Sermon Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and to find other sermons from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.